Okay, good afternoon, everyone. This meeting will come to order. Welcome to the December 11th, 2023, regular meeting of the Land Use and Transportation Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. I am Supervisor Mirna Melgar, Chair of the Committee, joined by Board of Supervisors, President Aaron Peskin and Vice Chair Dean Preston. The committee clerk today is uh, John Carroll um, and uh, Jason Goldhammer is our staff person for SFGovTV. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Goldhammer. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements? Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. Please ensure that you've silenced your cell phones and other electronic devices you may have brought with you to the board chamber today. If you have any documents to include as part of any of today's files, you should submit them directly to me. You can bring them to the front rail and leave them there. I'll pick them up from there. Public comment will be taken on each item on today's agenda. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, please line up to speak along your right-hand side of the room. I'm pointing it out with my left hand. Alternatively, you may submit your public comment in writing, and you may do so by writing via email to me, the Land Use and Transportation Committee Clerk. My email address is j-o-h-n period c-a-r-r-o-l-l at s-f-g-o-v.org. Or you may submit your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. That's the clerk's office, room 244. City Hall's address is 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, San Francisco, California, 94102. If you submit your public comment in writing, I will forward it to the members of this committee and also include your comments as part of the file upon which you are commenting. And finally, Madam Chair, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of January 9th, 2024, unless otherwise stated. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, please call item number one. Agenda item number one is an ordinance amending the planning code to prohibit parcel delivery service activities at fleet charging locations and affirming the appropriate findings. Uh, and finally, Madam Chair, this item is agendized as a potential committee report and may be sent to the Board of Supervisors for consideration at tomorrow's meeting. Thank you so much. Uh, I'd like to welcome District 1 Supervisor Connie Chan, uh, who is a sponsor of this legislation. The floor is yours, Supervisor Chan. Thank you, Chair Melgar uh, and colleagues. Thank you so much for um, having this item before you today. Um, this item was voted at the Planning Commission unanimously um, just last month, and so now it's before you. Um, the fleet charging locations and parcel delivery service uh, legislation is really with the intention to think about the rapid expansion of e-commerce throughout San Francisco and how it's impacting our small businesses as well as our workers. Um, with conversation with stakeholders as well as with our um, city attorney, this uh, legislation came about in a way to figure out um, the, the most uh, impactful and effective way to give this conversation around protecting small businesses and workers a, a, a tool for us to continue to um, do so. And in, it's really a way to regu regulating parcel delivery services at flea charging locations um, so that we can think about other ways to uh, boost small businesses and protection for our workers. So it's pretty straightforward, um, the language, but I do have amendments today, um, and that language I've shared, already shared with you uh, in advance of this meeting, but it's really specifically on um, page two, line 15, uh, with the section of definition um, of flea charging. Uh, this language was also actually discussed at Planning Commission, uh, which um, 
and, and also proposed by planning staff. Part, part, part of it is, was actually proposed by planning staff. Um, that is the parcel delivery service activity, including unloading, sorting, and or reloading merchandise for deliveries is prohibited as part of a fleet charging use. And, um, and so that is to clarify that um, these types of activities is not allowed, whether as a principal or accessory use at fleet charging station. Um, and happy to answer any questions that you may have today. Um, I, for, all, for full transparency, um, colleagues, I also have introduced legislation uh, for a conditional use uh, authorization specifically for parcel delivery service facilities um, with this very much the same goal um, to think about how we can further to you know uh, further let legislate to protect small business and workers in San Francisco as e-commerce continue to expand uh, I see that we also have planning staff here today and can also answer any questions, but I'm going to also leave it for the planning to, to make a brief presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Um, good afternoon and thank you Chair Melgar, Vice Chair Preston, um, President Peskin and Supervisor Chan. Um, I'm here, Jenny DeLumo from the Planning Department. Just want to reiterate what Supervisor Chan said, that the Planning Commission voted on November 16th of this year to unanimously approve the ordinance with minor amendment, which we thank you, Supervisor Chan, for including in the version before um, this committee today. And yes, I am available if you have any questions. Thank you so much. Uh, just before we go further, I'd like to have a warm welcome to Den 6 of the Scouts. Thanks for being here. Um, okay, uh, if there are no questions or comments, colleagues, let's go to public comment on this item. Thank you. We'll now hear public comment on agenda item number one. If you have public comment, please come forward to the lectern from the western side of this room, and you'll have two minutes apiece. First speaker, please. Good afternoon, uh, Supervisors. Uh, thank you for uh, this time today. And uh, we, I'm, I'm Mark Gleason. I'm uh, here speaking on behalf of Teamsters Joint Council 7, the officers there who've been working uh, on this uh, project and this concern for quite some time. We want to extend uh, a special thank you to Supervisor Chan and her legislative staff for uh, hearing our concerns uh, about the working conditions of parcel delivery workers in San Francisco and really throughout now Northern California that service uh, our neighborhoods and our communities and our businesses. Uh, this is a very important item uh, for us and we believe it's some clarification that is going to be beneficial certainly to the workers but also to the city at large in understanding what's going to happen with the expansion of fleet charging stations and what kind of work is going to be there and what kind of work will not be there. And uh, with that, to add uh, more uh, detail to all this, is the attorney that the Joint Council has retained on this matter going forward, uh, Peter Zeeblack. He will be speaking right after me. So again, thank you very much for your consideration and support today. Thank you, Mark Gleason, for your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon. Peter Zeeblack, Land Use Council for the Teamsters. Uh, again, thank you, Supervisor Chan, for carrying uh, this legislation forward. I mean, this legislation probably 
seems fairly obvious that when you have fleet charging established as a discrete land use at a location, that any other additional land uses have to face the traditional scrutiny for approval. But that hasn't always been the case in terms of applicants' perspective on this. So all this legislation does is make it expressly clear that if you establish fleet charging as an applicant, then that's what should be going on as an activity at that site and not other activities without approval from planning. And so this legislation does precisely that. And it's important, though it seems obvious, to make this clear because there's concerns that maybe applicants didn't necessarily understand that this was the case. So we appreciate this clarification. We think it does a good job of making it very clear what uses are allowed at what locations as we get a little bit further into the world of AV vehicle, fleet charging, parcel delivery. Um, the world's gonna get a little more complicated and the planning code needs to adapt to that. So thank you very much. Thank you, Peter Ziblatt, for your comments. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on agenda item number one? Madam Chair. Okay, with that public comment on this item is closed. Uh, Supervisor Chan. Thank you, and just uh, Chair would love uh, to have your support to move the uh, amendments as well as to consider this item uh, as a committee report uh, for tomorrow's board meeting, Tuesday, December 12th. Thank you. I would like to be added as a co-sponsor uh, to this item, and uh, we'll make a motion that we move this with a positive recommendation uh, as a committee report. With the amendments, Madam Chair? Yes, with the, I'm sorry. Let's move the amendments first. <laughs> In uh, okay. President Peskin, did you have comments? Okay. A motion offered by the chair that the ordinance be amended as presented in text from Supervisor Chan. On that motion, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. And then I will also record a motion from yourself that this ordinance be recommended as amended as a committee report for consideration at tomorrow's board meeting. On that motion, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes once again. Thank you. That motion passes. Congratulations, Supervisor Tan. Thank you. Mr. Clerk, uh, please call items two and three together. Thank you. Just a moment. Agenda item numbers two and three are two ordinances amending the planning code to designate the Chata Gutierrez mural located at 3175 24th Street and the Carnival mural located at 1311 through 1315 South Van Ness as landmarks consistent with the standards set forth in Article 10 of the planning code and affirming the appropriate findings. These items are also agendized as committee reports and may be sent to tomorrow's board meeting. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, we have Ana Herrera here, uh, legislative aide from Supervisor Ronan's office, as well as Pilar Lavalli from the Planning Department and Anne Cervantes, chair and founder of the San Francisco Latino Historical Society. Welcome, Ms. Herrera. Thank you, Chair Melgar. Uh, good afternoon, Vice Chair Prest Preston and President Peskin. Uh, thank you for hearing these items together today to designate landmarking for the Carnival and Chata Gutierrez murals, two adjoining murals located at the 24th Street and South Van Ness intersection within the Calle 24 Latino Cultural District. The items before you today present a significant opportunity for the board to formally recognize these iconic murals in the heart of the mission. 
The Carnival Mural famously celebrates the annual Carnival Parade and Festival, a tradition hosted and led by Latinx performers, residents, and organizations in the mission for over 40 years. The Chata Gutierrez mural represents Chata Gutierrez, who was born and raised in the mission and was the first Latina disc jockey for KPU 85.5, where she hosted the radio program Conclave, the longest running Latin music program in the Bay Area, until she sadly passed away in 2013. Chata introduced generations of San Franciscans and Bay Area audiences to the joy of salsa and other Latin music. There's a notable dearth of iconography of this city's Latina women, and the Chata Gutierrez mural is a beautiful exception. Thank you to the San Francisco Latino Historical Society and city preservation planning staff for the background research presented to you today. Both of these murals represent and celebrate the cultural contributions of San Francisco's Latinx community and the Mission District, and Supervisor Ronan asked for your support to move these items to the full board with positive recommendation. Thank you so much, Ms. Herrera. Um, we will now hear from Ms. Lavalli. Thank you so much, sorry about that for my minute for getting my slides. Um, good afternoon, Chair Mulgar and um, Supervisors, Pilar Valley Planning Department staff. The Historic Preservation Commission reviewed the proposed landmark designations of these murals at their hearing on September 18th, 2023. The Chata Gutierrez mural was painted in 2015 by lead artist Carlos Cookie Gonzalez in collaboration with Presida Eyes, Walls of Respect, Youth Mural Project artists and other volunteer artists. The 28 foot by 22 foot mural located on the west side elevation of a residential building um, is a tribute to a cultural icon of the Latino, Latinx community, is a cultural asset that celebrates the Latin music, Latin music movement and is a significant and vibrant part of San Francisco's cultural heritage. The Carnival mural is among the largest and most prominent murals in the Mission District. It was painted in 1983 by lead artist Danielle Galvez with assistance from several other artists. The 75 foot by 24 foot mural located on the north side elevation of a residential flats building depicts iconic pan-Latino businesses and cultural institutions. The Carnival mural is a cultural asset that celebrates Latin culture and music in the Mission District and is also a significant and vibrant part of San Francisco's cultural heritage. The Historic Preservation Commission heard public comment in support of designation and voted unanimously to approve resolutions recommending landmark designation of these two murals that have high artistic value, significant association with the Mission District's Pan-Latino community and are representative of the community arts movement. The commission found that the Carnival mural and Chata Gutierrez murals meet established eligibility requirements and that landmark status is warranted. Thank you, that concludes my presentation. Thank you, Ms. LaValle. Um, Ms. Cervantes, did you have a presentation?
My name is Anne Cervantes. Welcome. And besides being an architect and a small business owner, I'm an advocate and a community organizer. It turns out I should have probably worked for the unions. Um, what I want to say to here today, and I think people that preceded me really talked about. I'm sorry, Mr. Vantis, can you please pull the mic so we can hear you? Okay. Record. Thank you. Okay. All right. Here we go. I want to thank Supervisor Ronan because a lot of our historical assets were within her district, and she's taken the lead in making sure that these historical assets are documented in first voice rather than from planning staff's voice. We determined which, which were important to the community. And I felt that these, in working collaboratively with the community, these things were, two murals were at risk. But I also want to re, uh, thank Pilar Lavelli in drafting the planning documents to move this landmarking forward. But these two murals are really important because they're representative of the Chicano movement, mural movement in the 70s. These Mission District artists were influenced. Most of them went to the California College of Arts and Crafts. I think that's, did I say that right, Daniel? <laughs> so, um, and they're important in that fact that the muralists wanted to bring art to the community and now is one of the largest public outdoor galleries. Because we knew at that time when people were advocating for the cultural centers to be established in each of the low-income districts in support of the bond for Davies Symphony Hall, they basically said, why don't we bring art to the community? And they wanted to beautify the neighborhood with the beautiful murals. And that was the intent that these muralists did in the community. But this is really the first of the murals that are being documented as a historic resource that defines their space. So I want to thank you. Um, today we're going to have we're going to have Kuki Gonzalez here, but he caught COVID. But we have Daniel Galvez, who is the uh, muralist for the Carnival mural. But I also want to thank you, all the supervisors, including you, Supervisor Preskin, Peskin, to really make sure that our historic resources are documented in first voice in our ethnic enclaves in this city. So I hope that you continue to support the efforts that come up from the grassroots community in defining their space. So thank you so much and I hope you support the landmarking. Thank you, Mr. Montes. Okay, if there's no questions or comments, colleagues, let's go to public comment on this item. Thank you, Madam Chair. If you have public comment on agenda item numbers two and three called together related to these two murals, please line up to speak along this western wall of the room that I'm pointing out in my left hand, and then come forward to the lectern when it is your turn to speak. We can hear from the first speaker as soon as they're ready. Please begin. Go ahead, okay, hi. Uh, I'm Daniel Galvez, I'm the muralist who created the Carnival mural. Uh, 40 years to this day, practically. Uh, when I first came here, I needed to figure out, or to paint the mural because I was living in Oakland, some feedback on what makes up the mission. I, uh, I spoke with um, Rene Yanez, a prominent cultural icon himself at the time, and I said, dude, what, you know, what should the theme be like? And he said, well, Carnival is really what's going on in the mission and will probably be going on for years. So in keeping that as my main focus, 
uh, I went on to do a little more photography so I could really ingrain this mural into the neighborhood by capturing the businesses that made up the 24th Street uh, strip down the, down the street. So that included the theater, the Discolandia, Mexican restaurant, La Galeria. I went on to ask uh, Lou Dementeus, a prominent uh, and dominant photographer in the area who had been documenting Carnival early, to let me have access to his photographs so I could use original, real people in the Carnival mural. So with that in keeping, um, that became the heart and soul of the mural. Real people from the neighborhood, real businesses, the colorful buildings that make up the Mission District I went on to photograph to really make this mural anchored right into the space. Um, because after 40 years, uh, this is probably my most famous mural, simply because of its iconic and wonderful status that's been uh, embraced by the community. And I feel totally jazzed and feel honored that the mural is, has come to the point where it wants to be uh, people wanted to designate it as a landmark status, status to protect it from another building coming up in front of it uh, and, and, uh, and then blocking it. Um, again, I wanna thank you again for allowing me to speak. I uh, put my heart and soul in that mural and after it was restored, uh, it's got a whole new life and will last easily thank another you, 30 Valdez, years. Thank you, Daniel for sharing your comments with the committee. Right. Thank Sorry you. to cut you off, we do have to move on to the next speaker. Could we have the next speaker now, please? Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Rodrigo Duran. I'm the executive director of Carnaval San Francisco, and I'm also a second-generation Carnavalesco. Uh, as you may have heard already, Carnaval is the largest multicultural celebration. We bring over 400,000 people every year, patronize over 200 businesses, 2,000 artists participate, we have over 20 students, 200 students from the Unified School District, 50 vendors, and then add a little bit of love and what you get is this beautiful plethora of experiences that hold deep sentimental value. More Than Value also carries the stories of the many folks that for 45 years have um, advocated for the right to feel at home in San Francisco to be acknowledged, uh, not only within their neighborhood, but in this city. Latinos have been, throughout history in San Francisco, displaced for over 150 years. We can talk, trace back the Presidio, then going to Chinatown North Beach, Soma, and then finally in the 60s and 70s, uh, we anchored ourselves here in the Mission District and call it our home. And this mural encapsulates all of that experience. What this mural also says, um, you're welcome here, not just to tourists, but to the little young Honduran girl that looks up and sees herself reflected in the colors. It says to her, you know, we welcome your traditions, we welcome your language, we welcome your culture. And before I end this public comment, I want to say thank you, Daniel Galvez. I don't think thank I've had Rodrigo the pleasure Duran to formally for meet you. And so we hope we that you all vote to, the next to make this a historical landmark. Thank you. Thank you, Rodrigo Duran, for your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please?
Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Eric Cargoeo. I am the president and co-founder of Cali 24 Latino Culture District. And these two murals are the reasons uh, that we've created the Cali 24 Latino Culture District. Um, they sit in the gateway of the district. Um, they are part of our cultural uh, economy. It draws thousands of people into the area to view these murals. Um, we have over 690 in the area. Um, they provide our history on the walls. Uh, they provide um, art, you know, for people to just enjoy. And they're very important to preserve. Uh, it's important to uh, maintain. And we as Cali 24 have committed to maintaining the, the murals in the future, and particularly these, this mural, the Carnival mural, uh, when it uh, possibly fades, uh, we'll be responsible to um, make sure that we find the funds and the resources to maintain the mural and, and maintain it for the future for generations to enjoy. Thank you. Please support this um, recommendation. Thank you. Thank you, Eric Arguello, for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? Uh, buenas tardes. My name is Roberto Hernandez, and I'm a native of El Barrio La Misión. And I just really, really got hurt beyond the gentrification that we were been displaced twice first dot-com and then tech, to see the Santana mural on South NS being painted over. And then to see the mural on 17th and Harrison being painted over to make way to build for single units for tech workers to live. And so today is very important to us because thanks to uh, my sister Ann Cervantes and all the work that she, she's done, we want to preserve our stories. We want to preserve our history because we're still here. Y aquí estamos y no nos vamos. You know, in Carnival, I've been around since I was a chamaco. I was a kid. I performed in the first Carnival. And I've been with Carnival in, in many different, you know, ways because it's part of my soul, it's part of my heart, it's part of my spirit, it's part of what fed me to be a better human being, to learn who I am and who others are. And so it's very important. And Daniel, who would ever thought that we would be here making a piece of art that you created for us to be landmarked here in San Francisco. So today I want to honor you and thank you as an artist for feeding us and the whole entire world to know que aquí es nuestra cultura and our cultura is what heals us. Gracias. Thank you, Roberto Hernandez, for sharing your comments. Can we have the next speaker, please? Hello. My name is Martina Ayala, and I am the executive director of the historic Mission Cultural Center for Latino Arts. And I am here to remind you of the importance of preserving our historical assets and landmarks. People are connected to history. People are connected to art and culture. These murals are the exemplification of who we are. They embrace our past, our present, and inspire us to continue to move forward to the future, to continue to create beautiful artwork and preserve cultural traditions. Chata's mural, uh, Chata was a very important 
woman in the Latino community that uh, started that 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 was, was she was important in making sure that the Latino uh, music scene was uh, broadcasted, that it was disseminated. Uh, the Carnival mural holds our history by presenting images of people that were intricately um, responsible for the creation of the Mission District. And I urge you to preserve our history and to continue to promote and develop our cultural contributions to San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you, Martina Ayala, for sharing your comments. Could we have the next speaker, please? And then if we have anyone else here in the chamber who has public comment on agenda item numbers two and three, if you want to line up after this speaker, we'll hear you next. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Arturo Carrillo. I, am, uh, I represent a few th different things. I work for Health Right 360. I'm the director of the Street Violence Intervention Program. I deal with a lot of street gang violence. And one of the things for me, as far as health right, I ended up as a heroin addict. I graduated from Dolores Park as a rumbero because I got caught up in the drug scene. But the music uh, through Walden House helped change my life. And over the 40 years that we've been able to uh, instill music therapy, right, in the sense of medicinal drumming, we have kids that are part of Roadmap to Peace, youngsters that are banging, and all of a sudden we do drum circles with them. They're part of Carnival, and you can see the historical change that happens in an individual. I think it's so important to reflect for the generations to come how important our cultura is. Just from, it's not just an event, it's a year-long life-changing, right, experiences that we must keep and preserve. Thank you very much. Thank you, Arturo Carrillo, for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on agenda item numbers two and three? Madam Chair. Thank you so much. Public comment on this item is now closed. Um, I'd like to be added as a co-sponsor, uh, please, uh, Mr. Clerk. I I'm sorry, I'm gonna talk first, uh, Supervisor Peskin, if that's okay. Um, I, uh, as you may know, have this whole other alter ego, uh, besides being a supervisor, having danced in Carnival every year since I was 18 through three pregnancies. It is a community and a tradition that I dearly love. Um, for me as a planner, uh, you know, this designation of course makes sense. It is a priority equity community and it is also the heart of the cultural district uh, that preserves culture and tradition for a very important community in San Francisco. Uh, I'm so grateful for the artist uh, to be here with us today and I'm very proud um, that we're doing this and wanna thank uh, Ms. Cervantes in particular for all of her work uh, preserving the historical traditions of the Latino community uh, and Supervisor Ronan and Ana Herrera for being here. Uh, President Paskin. I would like to be added as a co-sponsor to both files. Uh, uh, Supervisor Preston. Thank you, please add me as a co-sponsor as well to both items. Okay, uh, with that, um, let's uh, uh, consider a motion please to uh, forward this with a positive recommendation as a committee report. Noting a motion from the chair that these two items be recommended as committee reports to tomorrow's board meeting on that motion, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. That motion has passed. Congratulations, everyone.
Okay, let's go to item number five, please, Mr. Clerk. Uh, agenda item number five or number four? Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Getting ahead of myself. Number four. Agenda item number four is an ordinance amending the local findings included by reference in the following ordinances. First, 2022 San Francisco Building Code. Second, 2022 San Francisco Green Building Code. Third, 2022 San Francisco Mechanical Code. Fourth, the San Francisco Plumbing Code. And directing the clerk of the board to forward the ordinance to the California Building Standards Commission as required by state law. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, we are joined by Carl Nisida uh, from DBI. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Chair Melgar. Good afternoon, Vice Chair Preston and President Peskin. I'm Carl Nisida, Legislative Affairs Manager for the Department of Building Inspection. This ordinance would make technical edits to the indexes of findings supporting local amendments to the 2022 San Francisco Building Codes. Just a bit of background for you. Last year, consistent with the triannual California Building Standards Commission code cycle, this Board of Supervisors adopted the 2022 building codes comprised of the building code, green building code, mechanical code, and plumbing code. And as part of that process, the Board made express findings section by section that each San Francisco amendment to the California code was reasonably necessary due to local conditions typically regarding topography, geology, and climate. The findings are contained in Exhibit A to each of the 22 codes and are on file with the Clerk of the Board of Supervisors. Here you can see a list of findings in those 22 codes. There are 17 of them. And here you can see an excerpt from the index of findings for the, California, or for the San Francisco Building Code uh, listing San Francisco local amendments and the associated findings. So what's the issue and why is this ordinance necessary? In its review of our local amendments, the Building Standards Commission uh, discovered some technical omissions in the indexes of findings to the 2022 codes and requested correction to the respective files. This ordinance would make the technical corrections requested by the Building Standards Commission by updating the local index of findings for each of those ordinances. And the clerk of the board would then update the board files for the 22 building code ordinances with the amended findings. I think of critical importance, this ordinance does not change any of the underlying building codes, only the index of findings. And just to note, on October 12, 2023, the Department of Building Inspections Code Advisory Committee made a unanimous recommendation to the Building Inspection Commission to recommend this ordinance to the board. And then on October 18th, the Building Inspection Commission did make that unanimous recommendation to the board. That concludes my presentation, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you so much, Mr. Nasida. Uh, any questions or comments, colleagues? Okay, well, uh, Mr. Clerk, let's go to public comment on this item, please. Thank you. Do we have anyone here in the chamber who has public comment on this agenda item number four related to the building, green building, mechanical, and plumbing codes? If so, please come forward to the lectern at this time. And Madam Chair, it appears we have no speakers. Okay, well, with that, public comment on this item is closed. Um, I would like to uh, make a motion that we send this out to the full board with a positive recommendation. The motion offered by Chair Melgar that this ordinance be recommended to the Board of Supervisors. Vice Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes. Uh, Mr. Clerk, let's go to item number five now, please. Agenda item number five. 
is an ordinance amending the planning code to encourage housing production by first exempting under certain conditions specified housing projects from the notice and review procedures of section 311 and the conditional use requirement of section 317 in areas outside of priority equity geographies which are identified in the housing element as areas or neighborhoods with a high density of vulnerable populations and areas outside of residential house districts within the family housing opportunity special use district Second, removing the conditional use requirements for several types of housing projects, including housing developments on large lots in areas outside the priority equity geography special use district, projects to build to the allowable height limit, projects that seek to obtain double density subject to certain exemptions in RH districts in the family housing opportunity special use district. Third, amending front, I'm sorry, <clears throat> amending rear yard, front setback, lot frontage, minimum lot size, and residential open space requirements in specified districts subject to certain exemptions in RH districts in the Family Housing Opportunity Special Use District. Fourth, allowing additional uses on the ground floor in residential buildings, homeless shelters, and group housing in residential districts, and administrative review of reasonable accommodations. Fifth, expanding the eligibility for the housing opportunities mean equity san francisco home sf program and density exceptions in residential districts sixth exempting certain affordable housing projects from certain development fees seventh authorizing the planning director to approve state density bonus projects subject to delegation from the planning commission eighth sunsetting the conditional use requirements established by the corona heights large residents and the central neighborhoods large resident special use districts at the end of 2024 and thereafter limiting the size of any dwelling units resulting from residential development in those special use districts to 3,000 square feet of gross floor area. And ninth, making conforming amendments to other sections of the planning code, amending the zoning map to create the priority equities geographies special use district, amending the subdivision code to update the condominium conversion requirements of projects utilizing residential density exceptions in RH districts, and affirming the CEQA findings and various other findings in the ordinance Madam Chair, this item has also been agendized as a potential committee report and may be sent to the Board of Supervisors for consideration at tomorrow's meeting. Thank you so much, Mr. Clerk. Uh, I do promise you we will be done with this someday. <laughs> um, but you will remember that we uh, continued this from last week at the request of uh, President Paskin. Um, in addition to that, the planning department has some requested amendments that were heard by uh, the planning commission. Um, I will turn it over to uh, President Paskin to make remarks first and then um, have you uh, present, Mr. Starr. Okay, President Paskin. I don't know that I have anything new. The amendments that were made last week uh, were um, some of them were substantive and needed to be heard here. I don't think any of them needed to be re-referred because they were all discussed last the previous week at the Planning Commission. Um, but in the interim, I think there are a number of amendments that I guess Aaron Starr emailed some of them to us last Thursday. I admit I did not put my eyes on them until today, um, but in any event, they are deemed to be substantive by the city attorney, so we can't vote on them today anyway. Okay, uh, Mr. Starr, go ahead. Uh, thank you, Supervisors. Aaron Starr, Manager of Legislative Affairs for the Planning Department. So the um, amendments that I have to you today are fairly straightforward. Um, they would replace the word 
or the phrase uh, building permit with planning entitlement in section 311. Um, we're proposing this because of recent changes to state law in AB um, 1114, um, which requires post entitlement permits to be approved within 15 days. Um, there's some concern that the, using the term building permit in 311 would subject them to that 50 day, 15 day um, uh, approval process, uh, So, which would prohibit us from doing the 30-day notification. Um, so the amendments that I sent to you are pretty much that. I do have six copies for the clerk. Um, and yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions. I have some questions. Yes, uh, President Peskin. So sorry if these questions sound naive, but this is a exponentially quickly evolving landscape as more and more local authority gets preempted more and more. Um, who's the author of this 1114, just out of curiosity? I'm sorry, I don't have that on me. All right, well, it doesn't matter. We can figure that out. Um, is there a definition in the code of what means post-entitlement? No, I don't believe there is a definition in the code that does have that. Um, so, but we are saying planning entitlement. Um, there is a de difference between, yeah. So there's the building permit, which has to um, be deemed accepted within 15 days for us to accept a building permit in 15 days. We have to have had done as complete. We have to do the 311. 311 takes 30 days, and we don't get the notice out within probably 60 days. So, I'm just trying to understand the state because I have this sinking suspicion, and it'll all become true later, that the state has no idea of what the fuck they're doing. Which, I mean, do you actually think the Department of Building Inspection can plan check complex plans in 15 or 30 days? I mean, if they had like a room full of people working on one set of plans, they can do this safely in 15 days? Is that what this says? I mean, I realize you don't work for the building department. I'm not as familiar with what the state law says, um, and I, I can't answer that for the building department. And uh, Haney was the sponsor of 1114. So, like, the state's just going to say the building, I mean, there was a lovely article in the Chronicle about some poor guy who, and this was, seemed to be actually much more on planning than on building, but building had a piece of it too. None of this was politics. None of it had to do with entitlements. None of it had to do with discretionary review. It just had to do with the fact that, you know, guy was getting bad service and one person told him one thing and he got shunted to another place and it took him like a year to get a permit to build his deck. None of it had to do with any law change. It was just bureaucrats who weren't getting their act together. And, but what you're telling me here is that somehow or another complex sets of plans are going to have to be approved by a building department in 15 days? Like, how is that possible? I, I think that the building permit has to be deemed, um, have, we have to accept it within 15 days. I don't know the terminology. Post-entitlement permits are between 30 and 16 days, depending on the complexity of it. But um, we, if you want to know more about 1114, um, Kate Connor on our staff is really well versed in that, and we can set up a meeting with you to go over it. Does, does Assemblymember Haney send you guys money for all the time it takes you to keep changing all your laws every 15 minutes? I'm done. Okay, uh, thank you, President Peskin.
there's no other comments or question from my colleagues, let's go to public comment on this item. Thank you, Madam Chair. If you're here for public comment on agenda item number five, please come forward to the lectern at this time and looks like we have one speaker. Please, please begin. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Chair Melgar and supervisors. Here we are again. Um, Peter Papadopoulos with the Mission Economic Development Agency. And to begin, we want to thank President Peskin and Sonny Angulo for their work with city staff on amendments to formally recognize the need for cultural communities to have an extensive voice in an expanded creation of objective design guidelines. So thank you. Um, we are also, that being said, can remain concerned with the HCD timelines and PPRs that they have pushed forward legislation that overrides the affirmatively furthering fair housing frameworks and actions of the San Francisco housing element. A critical example of this would be the legislation's proposal that, quote, density bonus projects shall not be subject to any other underlying entitlement approvals related to the proposed housing, close quote, is in direct violation of Housing Element Action 9.4.2, among others, which states, quote, the city will remove conditional use authorization outside of priority equity geographies and areas vulnerable to displacement, close quote. If not corrected, the mission expects to see widespread displacement of immigrant small businesses from Mission and 24th Street the destruction of community murals, including many not yet registered, like those we just uh, saw, and the demolition of not yet registered historic buildings, along with the loss of other cultural assets. So we continue to ask HCD to please work with this board and city agencies and give them the time and resources to bring these sections into compliance. Thank you. Thank you, Peter Papadopoulos, for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on this agenda item number five? Madam Chair, it appears we have no more speakers. Thank you. With this, public comment is now closed. So it seems to me that because the words planning entitlement and the other changes that are being, or some of the other changes that are being proposed are deemed by the city attorney to be substantive, that what we might want to do is to adopt those things, at least for the purpose of discussion, and continue it to our next meeting, because we can't vote on, or we can't send it out of committee today. Um, and I think in the intervening time, because this is our last meeting before the holiday, that y'all probably want to work on a definition of what planning entitlement actually means so that we have an objective definition rather than a term of art or practice. Okay, that was a motion, right? Uh, well, let's see what Anne okay. has to say. <laughs> Deputy City Attorney. There was Attorney. also a whole nother set of amendments. I don't know, I got an email like mm. an hour ago from somebody in the mayor's office, and I said, oh, is this the stuff in the board packet, which this supervisor actually read this weekend, and then it came a response from her about 30 minutes or whatever ago that said, oh no, this is a bunch of new stuff, and I'm just thinking like, okay, I realize the state legislative world is changing quickly, but it's changing even more quickly here. So I don't even know if I wanna make those amendments because I don't even know what the hell they are. Okay, uh, 
Aaron might. It, um, those amendments were for the next item, the ADU stuff. Also, state law changing <clears throat> rapidly. Oh. Okay. Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson, um, for this file, which of course is a duplicate file, I think it's actually a duplicate of a duplicate of a duplicate, we have prepared amendments if you'd like to make them that would essentially remove all of the sections that are not at issue right now so that what will move forward eventually will be a smaller thing that contains just those sections that are subject to amendments today. Okay, so I will make a motion to keep the language that we amended last week, which was the changes to 317 and the 311 and the objective design standards um, and add the language that Mr. Starr suggested on Thursday and strip the rest of the file and then we can continue that to our first meeting in January. Okay. Make it so, Mr. Clerk. <laughs> <laughs> Just for my clarity through the chair to Supervisor Peskin, the uh, two first amendments that you mentioned in your list there were the amendments that were taken last week and that already appear in this ordinance. So Correct. the amendments that are before the committee right now are those presented by the planning department, plus the conforming amendments that eliminate all the rest of the sections of code that are in the duplicative versions elsewhere. Correct. So the Thank amendments you. made last week, the amendments being made today, and then get rid of everything else. On the motion to amend is offered by Member Peskin. Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. And I th believe we made a motion to continue it till the meeting of the 22nd. The 22nd. On that motion, also offered by Member Peskin to continue this item as amended to January 22nd. Vice Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. Thank you. That motion passes. Thank you, everyone. Now let's go to item number six. Okay, just a moment here while I make sure that my notes are correct. Agenda item number six is an ordinance amending the planning code to clarify the ministerial approval process for certain accessory dwelling units meeting certain requirements in single family and multifamily buildings and to permit certain ADUs in the rear yard under the city's local discretionary approval program and making the appropriate findings. Okay, uh, again, Mr. Stark, welcome. Uh, good afternoon, Supervisors Aaron Starr, Manager of Legislative Affairs. Uh, this item is the State Mandated Accessory Dwelling Unit Ordinance, which was introduced by the Mayor. Uh, the purpose of this round of ADU legislation is to make our planning code consistent with state law. Um, this updates, code, um, updates codes Assembly Bill 2221 and Senate Bill 897, both of which were um, effective beginning January 1st, 2023. The changes in this ordinance are amendments that are required uh, to make to comply with state law. Um, it's important to note that planning staff are already reviewing and approving permits based on these state law changes. Um, the code would be revised to reflect these changes. The Planning Commission heard this item on September 28th and recommended approval with one modification. That modification was to amend the code to exclude ADUs from the dwelling unit mix requirement. 
Typically, projects only add um, one to two ADUs at a time. However, there have been a few cases where nine to 10 ADUs have been added to the property through the local ADU program. Um, it doesn't really make sense to uh, for the ADUs to be subject to dwelling unit mix requirements, as the dwelling unit mix requirements were intended for larger new construction projects. Um, since then, the city has been conducting coordinating with the uh, State Department of Housing and Community Development. In our most recent response letter to HCD sent on November 27th, we informed them that a handful of the additional items require re-referral back to the Planning Commission. Um, those items are as follows. Uh, one, adding an exception from the owner occupancy requirements code's definition of junior ADU if the owner is another governmental agency, land trust, or housing organization clarifying and explicitly noting that the lot coverage requirement of Planning Code Section 136 uh, do not prohibit construction of an ADU that is no more than 800 square feet with a four-foot side and rear setbacks. Emphasize within the existing law that any architectural review standards adopted by the Historic Preservation Commission that are applicable to state-mandated ADUs must remain objective. Also add findings to the pending ADU ordinance uh, to explain why the city's ADU controls comply with um, applicable requirements. Amend the hybrid ADU program to permit the construction of up to three ADUs that meet the applicable requirements. And then amend the code to match the state's comprehensive list of requirements to permit construction of at least an 800 square foot ADU with four foot side and rear setbacks. Um, and then and remove notification requirements for state ADU program and findings explaining why the notice requirement for the hybrid ADU program still complies with state law. Uh, we ask that those amendments, including the Planning Commission's modification, be made in committee today, and uh, we will return to this body after we take them back to the Planning Commission for their review and recommendation. That concludes my report, and I do have Natalia here if you have any questions about the State ADU program, and John, I do have some copies of that for you. Thank you, uh, Mr. Starr. Uh, President Paskin. Mr. Starr, I realize none of this is of your making as with the last item, or not directly anyway, um, and it's not mentioned in the staff report, and it's not the subject, I don't think, of either one of the pieces of legislation that we are conforming local law to, but is it my imagination, or did the state program preempt our ability under our earlier law to subject ADUs to rent control? I don't believe it. Um, if they take advantage of our local program, we can still subject those to um, rent control, but state ones, uh, no. Right. So in other words, it used to be that if you did an ADU here, we could subject you to rent control. And now the state created a law that if you use the state law, you don't have to do rent control. I think it's been like that for three years. plus years. Yeah. Yeah. And that was brought to us by which assembly member? I'd have to research that. I'm not sure. I don't believe it was a Bay Area Super Yeah, it was. It was Assemblymember Ting. Ting, okay. I just want to say this for the record so that people who are watching, and I get along quite well with Phil and consider him most of the time to be a friend, will realize that all of the things that we hold sacred in San Francisco are being undermined by the state of California by their own elected legislators. Just saying. It has nothing to do with this piece of legislation, but I thought it was worth pointing out. I do have a couple of questions about this legislation. 
because it is before us. Uh, on page 15, um, under the reporting requirement, uh, and maybe this is dealt with in the cross-reference to 207C4, I don't think it is, um, the words the department shall transmit this report to the Board of Supervisors for its review and public input uh, in subsequent years, this information on ADUs shall be reported annually in the housing inventory. Why is that language deleted? Good afternoon, President Peskin, Supervisor Melgar, and President Natalia Fassi, Planning Department staff. Um, if you turn to page number 32, I believe, um, there is on line item 6, a department report. And so this language is replacing the language that's cross-referenced. My um, legislation stops at page 30. Give me a... Uh, I'm just looking at what's in the file. Yes, yeah, so that would be on page 32 of the legislation. The legislation stops at page 30. It's approved as to form on page 31. Unless there's... Am I... Do you guys got something different? It may be that the page references to the um, version with the amendments that has been distributed. That's correct. So there's a different hard copy. Another thing that this legislation is doing is it's really reformatting um, our planning code and taking these ADU controls that are buried in section 207 um, into their own sections. That's why this is a pretty lengthy draft legislation. Um, a lot of this is just moving to a different code section. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's, I'm having a fundamental problem and I'm not trying to be cute or obstructive, but here's the way my life works. The chairperson sets the agenda and on Friday, the world gets to see the agenda I have staff, they print out the agenda with the attachments. I go home, I sit and I read them and I have a pen and I make little comments on them, preparing myself for a meeting on Monday. My legislation that has my notes on it is 30 pages in length. Right now, I have just been, and I just asked a question about something on page 30, that I have on page 15 that you said was answered on page 32. I've now been handed a piece of legislation that's 57 pages in length. I haven't read this legislation. I can't vote to take these amendments today because I have no friggin' idea what I'm voting on. Just, it's, it would be irresponsible. I, I just can't do business like that. Okay. Any other comments? I mean, I'm happy to read it and then do my job as a legislator and write comments and offline or in public, but I just can't take a piece of, I can't like just responsibly vote on 30 pages of amendments that I've never seen before. Okay, let's uh, go to public comment on this item, uh, Mr. Clark. Thank you, Madam Chair. If you have public comment on this agenda, item number six related to the state mandated accessory dwelling unit controls, please come forward to the lectern. Mr. Phil, are you bringing comments on this item? Okay. Madam Chair, it appears we have no speakers. Okay, public comment on this item is now closed. Mr. Stark, can you please, or anyone from the planning department, talk to us about why the timing of this legislation is as it is? Um, I don't believe that the amendments were ready until after the, the uh, packet went out. 
So. Okay, and is there a reason why we need to vote on this today or adopt the amendments today? Natalia Fossey, Planning Department staff. Um, so there was legislation that went to the Planning Commission. That's the packet that you had in advance. Um, more recently, we received a letter from HCD um, asking us to make these amendments, and these amendments were drafted last week. Uh, and so that why, that's why the packet in front of you today is different. The, the changes in the length of the ordinance are the amendments that Mr. Starr introduced and read into the record. So let, let me be clear. Some legislators passed some stuff in Sacramento two years ago. It conflicts with our local requirements, but you have not been using our local requirements. You've been using the state requirements. So we haven't violated the state law. So I don't know, HCD wrote you a letter and all of a sudden, like, I'm supposed to abdicate my responsibility and my sworn duties? I don't think so. Okay. Um, so why, uh, is that a motion to continue it, uh, President Peskin, or? Um... I'm happy to make that motion uh, after public comment. Well, we did take public comment. Oh, There's did. nobody here to comment on this item. Oh, right, we did. Yeah, I'll move to continue this item to our next meeting, and I promise to read the amendments and ask any questions between now and January 22nd. Motion offered by Member Peskin that this ordinance be continued to the January 22nd, 2024 meeting on that motion. Vice Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. Okay, let's go uh, then to uh, the next item, please, Mr. Clerk. Agenda item number seven is a resolution granting revocable permission to Otis Property Owner LLC to occupy and maintain the 12th Street Plaza on 12th Street at the corner of South Van Ness Avenue fronting 90 12th Street. Accepting the irrevocable offer of improvements from Otis Property Owner LLC in accordance with the terms of a Planning Commission in-kind agreement and dedicating said improvements to public use and adopting appropriate findings found throughout the resolution. Um, okay, we have Madison Tam here from Supervisor Dorsey's office. Welcome. Thank you, Thank you Chair Merrill. Yeah. Thank you, Chair Melgar, and good afternoon, members of the Land Use Committee, Madison Tam, aide to Supervisor Matt Dorsey. This resolution fulfills developer obligation of the installation of a public open space on the portion of 12th Street between South Van Ness Avenue and Otis Street by allowing DPW to enter into an encroachment permit and maintenance agreement with the permittee for the installation and maintenance of public improvements. Earlier today, I circulated amendments, and you have a hard copy on your desks as well. These amendments are substantive and will require a one-week continuance. Due to the need for a continuance and public work staff availability, I will be holding off on further comments on this item until uh, its next appearance at the board. And these amendments that you have uh, include some cleanup language and accept a sidewalk easement that was contemplated in the final map motion in 2021, but needed further action by the board. So on behalf of Supervisor Dorsey, I ask that you amend the resolution and continue it to your next meeting. Thank you. Okay. Uh, let's, uh, we will, you know, uh, move to continue it. Let's take public comment on that, please, Mr. Clerk. Thank you, Madam Chair. Do we have anyone here who has public comment on agenda item number seven related to this street encroachment permit? If so, please come forward to the lectern that I'm pointing out in my left hand. And it appears, Madam Chair, that we have no speakers. Okay, public comment on this item is now closed. 
Um, I will move that we uh, continue this item. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. The, um, the ask um, was to uh, incorporate the amendments and then continue the item. Okay. And, and then we continue to when? Uh, the next meeting of the Land Use Committee. Okay. Um, let's do that. Let's amend the legislation and... Um, the two of us. Noting that Supervisor Preston is presently absent, I see a motion from Chair Melgar that this, or, uh, that this resolution be amended and then continued to the January 22nd, 2024 meeting as amended. On that motion, Vice Chair Preston is absent. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are two ayes with Member Preston absent. That motion passes. Um, okay, let's go to item, what's our next item, number eight. Agenda item number eight is an ordinance amending the planning code to eliminate the public art requirement for 100% affordable housing projects and provide for the relocation or removal of existing artwork at such projects, subject to certain conditions and affirming appropriate findings throughout the ordinance. Like several other items on today's agenda, this has been agendized as a committee report and may be sent to tomorrow's board meeting. Uh, welcome again, Ms. Sam. Thank you again, Chair Melgar. Uh, again, Supervisors Madison Tam, aide to Supervisor Matt Dorsey. This legislation as agendized makes two changes to 100% affordable housing projects. First, providing uh, a process for the relocation or removal of public art in existing 100% affordable housing subject to certain conditions. And second, waives the requirement for public art in new 100% affordable housing projects. After stakeholder discussion, Supervisor Dorsey has decided to duplicate this file, strike the second component, eliminating the requirement in new development, and work on that as its own policy matter. This then changes the long title of this legislation to Re Revising Public Art Relocation and Removal Requirement for Existing 100% Affordable Housing Projects. So my remarks are limited to the former half of this legislation. This legislation is the result of a long frustrating example of a well-intentioned requirement having unintentional regressive impacts. A BMR condo building in District 6 at 1400 Mission has an on-site mural that fulfills the public art requirement under Section 429. The beautiful mural exceeding $500,000 in value has been covered in graffiti for years since before Supervisor Dorsey's term on the Board of Supervisors. Over the years, the building has continued to receive notices of violation from the Department of Public Works for visible graffiti. When their property management attempted to address the issue, they learned that they could not solve their graffiti problem without creating a planning code violation problem. Our office has worked with the building management and attended several HOA meetings, and the residents of this building are proud to be homeowners and incredibly grateful for the opportunity to own an affordable unit, and they just want this graffiti gone. They don't want their building to be a source of blight and invite more vandalism to the block. Under the existing code, they could remove the graffiti, but they would be required to replace the art with art of equal or greater value. This is a below market rate HOA that is in no position to raise its dues for a non-essential amenity. As stated earlier, on behalf of Supervisor Dorsey, I have amendments for you that amendments for you today that in addition to stripping out the language that would eliminate the public art requirement, would incorporate the Planning Commission's recommended modifications relevant to the relocation and removal process. So through the chair, can uh, planning staff speak to those and then I'll confirm our support for those. Thank you, Ms. Tam. 
Good afternoon, Supervisors Audrey Merloni, Planning Department staff. The Planning Commission heard this item on November 16th, 2023, and after a robust discussion, um, recommended approval with modifications. So Ms. Tam alluded to some of those commission recommended modifications that will be in the file that I believe they are hoping to amend, duplicate, amend, and move forward today. Those are the first three of their recommended modifications, which are to create new and clarify existing ZA hearing criteria for consideration for the removal of art. Number two, to add clarifying language to the removal, relocation, and alteration provisions to ensure that 100% affordable housing projects that propose a minor relocation or alteration of the artwork are offered the same, less onerous process that is already available to market rate projects. And third is to make technical amendments to delete a reference in section 176.1, which that section does not exist anymore, and to correct a incorrect reference elsewhere. So in addition to those amendments, the commission also recommended amendments that I believe um, we we believe that um, they are great, but potentially not for today in our larger policy discussion. So those amendments are to also amend the administrative code to exempt 100% affordable housing projects from the 2% for art enrichment requirements. And lastly, to encourage further conversation between city departments and stakeholders on finding alternative resources for the funding of art acquisition, installation, and maintenance at 100% affordable projects. Again, those last two aren't necessarily relevant to the duplicated, duplicated file today, but we look forward to future conversations on those. Thank you. Yeah, that's, I think, going to be a robust discussion here, too. Miss um, Tam, okay, can you please take us again through the mechanics of what you want to do? You want to amend yes. it first, then duplicate it, or duplicate it and then amend it? Can you, like, just... Yes, so I'll lean on uh, Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson in case I accidentally misspeak on any of this in, in the wrong order, but I believe the correct order of operations here... President Peskin, Peskin I'm sorry, I just, I need it. Deputy City Attorney's attention. I believe the correct order of operations here would be to duplicate the file, then First. amend the existing file as read into the record, and I can confirm those amendments, um, and you have received them, and then send that amended file to the full board as a committee report. Okay, and then the original file, we continue to the can, call of the chair? Correct. Okay. We got that right? Um, I think you did. I okay. think the idea is to duplicate now, <laughs> amend one version, and send the amended version on and continue the, du the duplicate that has not been amended to the call of the chair. And we are sending it as a committee report to address uh, the issue of this specific building on Mission Street that we've been getting so much correspondence about. Yes, that is correct. Okay. Although, in although that could be used in other circumstances by the ZA in similarly situated for anything that falls under the 100% affordable housing project definition and meets the ZA criteria that uh, has been laid out. And then one thing I just wanted to add, I was listening to the meeting earlier for the landmark designation for the two murals, and I think this approach is a very surgical and specific approach in response to a situation that we've seen in our district. There shouldn't be an easier pathway for you know, art that's on a market rate housing project or art that's on a commercial property to, you know, get out of their 1% requirement. This is a very tailored and specific approach to address uh, the building in our district and other similar buildings that, like I've said, the core of the issue is this is a BMR 
ownership building, raising fees to provide $500,000 worth of on-site art is not a priority for these low-income homeowners. Okay. Uh, let's uh, take public comment on this item, please. For those who have public comment on agenda item number eight, please come forward to the lectern. And if you're waiting for your chance to speak, please line up along the western wall of this room. And if we have a speaker that's ready, I'll start your time. My name is Ann Cervantes, and I'm here to talk two things. I want to recommend um, to go back to committee, uh, not to move forward, and till some of the answers are, questions are answered. And that one, this constitutes public art, and how does it comply with state code in the protection of public art? The second, I need you to understand that artists are businesses, and they should be included in LBE policy, and there should be a certain percentage of the work for these projects to be set aside for artists that are businesses, too, local businesses. Thank you. Thank you, Ann Cervantes, for sharing your comments with the committee. Could we have the next speaker, please? Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Sharam Shariati. I'm an owner at 1400 Mission Street. I'm also running for mayor of San Francisco. Uh, as previously stated, we are a 100% BMR building comprised of 190 units. It's uh, filled with culturally ethnic diverse people uh, from all walks of life. We also are um, full-time government employees throughout the city. Um, so what happened is the developer for the building had the mural installed via the Art Commission San Francisco Planning Department when the building was first built. The value of the art at the time was 1% of the value of the building. Um, but over the years, the mural has been repeatedly vandalized with graffiti. We've made many attempts to maintain the mural, but given the fact that we are a BMR building, we do not have the funds to refurbish it. We aren't allowed to paint over it because current laws do not allow us to remove or paint over the mural, although it's totally obscured by graffiti and it has been for several years. Management and the board of directors have been trying to work with the city for over three years to get this removed from our uh, outside of the building. Uh, meanwhile, we get graffiti abatement violations from this uh, Department of Public Works. We've, we are needing your help to pass this legislation. It is, is very important to us. Uh, we understand that art in San Francisco is important, but not in our case, it is not something we can afford to maintain given the fact that graffiti is an ongoing, never-ending issue. We also do not want other buildings, which are also below market rate, to have to go through the same experience that we have. I also want to note that this is just one of several issues that the residents of 1400 Mission have endured. Um, the city and developers conducted illegal activity, which did not provide us with a property manager on site to manage 23 rental units for transitional housing for the homeless. We endured many thefts during the first year, as well as people sleeping in the hallways and stairwells. We had mentally ill, unhoused person break into our building and destroy water pipes. Several floors suffer from flood damages, resulting in high repair speaker's costs. Speaker's time is concluded. Thank you for sharing your comments with the committee. Thank you. Let's hear from the next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Chair Melgar, members of the committee. Charlie Shamas with the Council of Community Housing Organizations. Uh, we support the look back elements of this legislation that address instances where public art must be restored and or replaced. And we support the residents at 1400 Mission in their efforts to remediate the public art on site. 
We believe the second part of the legislation, which um, based on the conversation um, will be discussed at a future date, this look forward provision makes an unnecessary trade-off of affordable housing versus public art for low-income residents. While the initial scope of the legislation was limited to amending planning code section 429 in the downtown district, the stakes are even higher as we understand it is being expanded to amend admin code section 3.19, thus impacting all publicly funded affordable housing projects citywide. Integrating public art into affordable housing contributes to community placemaking, cultural preservation, deeper community engagement. It is part of the comprehensive community development mission of many Choo Choo member organizations to enable residents to feel at home and proud in their neighborhoods. It is one way we brand affordable housing to be beautiful and culturally celebratory spaces. We urge the city to retain the requirement and identify an alternative permanent source to fund public art and affordable projects. Designating an alternative dedicated source of funding would allow the city's investments toward affordable housing to keep with their designated purpose. It would provide flexibility to affordable housing or developers who only want to do their best to expand the supply of affordable housing. If a dedicated alternative funding source cannot be immediately identified, we propose at the very least uh, an assessment of fees be reduced to enable project sponsors to contain costs in a highly competitive funding environment while still integrating public art strategies into affordable housing projects. Chichi looks forward to working uh, together with Supervisor Dorsey and members of this committee, as well as our member organizations and cultural arts organizations on crafting a proposal. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie Shamas, for sharing your comments with the committee. Let's have the next speaker, please. Uh, yes, good uh, afternoon. Yes, wow. Just one thing I don't understand, sorry, is uh, again, it's what. Okay, art. Yes, graffiti. I'm not a big fan personally of graffitis. I think they are great along the freeway. I mean, we should put trees along the freeways, by the way. Absorbs carbon dioxide. But uh, other than that, yes, I don't understand what is, again, 100% affordable housing. It's free. It means free. How much is it? Because this is not clear. After that, yes, apart from that, yes, public art, yeah, of course. Uh, it's great, but remember, we don't weaponize anything in the future. So art, you know, can be easily weaponized with politics or stuff. So it's not a good idea. It was my, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's very intelligent what I said, but still. Thank you, Mr. Phil, for sharing your comments with the committee. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on agenda item number eight? Madam Chair. Okay, public comment on this item is now closed. Um, so, Mr. Clerk, let's go ahead and uh, duplicate this file, and I'd like to uh, make a motion to amend uh, the duplicate file as requested and read into the record by uh, Ms. Tam. On the motion offered by the chair that the original ordinance be amended, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes on the amendments to the original file. Okay, uh, and okay, so let's um, send this amended uh, file forward with a positive recommendation, um, not as a committee report, right? As a committee report. As a committee report? As a committee report. Okay, yeah. to, to tomorrow's board meeting. And the motion offered by Chair Melgar that the original ordinance be recommended as amended as a committee report, Vice Chair Preston. 
Preston, aye. Member Peskin, aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar, aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes once again. Thank you. Let's then uh, continue the original file to our committee meeting on Monday, January 22nd, please. Oh, we continue to the, the, call, of the, chair? the call of the chair. Okay, yep. let's do it to the call of the chair. On the motion offered by Chair Melgar that the duplicated file, which has not been amended, that it be continued to the call of the chair on that motion, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes once again. Okay, that motion passes. Thank you, Ms. Tam. Uh, let's go to our last item on this agenda. Please, Mr. Clerk, item number nine. Agenda item number nine is an ordinance amending the planning code to exempt from the limit limitations on conversion of certain production, distribution, and repair institutional community and arts activities uses in the eastern neighborhoods area pl plan areas. Excuse me. That includes the Mission, Eastern Soma, Western Soma, and Central Soma areas. Changes of use from one of those uses to another of those uses or to institutional uses and affirming the secret findings and other findings throughout the ordinance. This item has also been agendized as a committee report and may be considered at tomorrow's board meeting. Again, hello, Ms. Tam. All right, one more time. Good afternoon, members of the committee. Madison Tam, aide to Supervisor Dorsey, once again. I'm excited to be before you today to discuss legislation the supervisor has been working on over the past few months. The legislation before you today makes modest adjustments to modernize Section 202.8 of the code, which was created by Supervisor Kim's 2016 Proposition X. Existing code requires a conditional use authorization and replacement space for any conversion of PDR, arts, or institutional community uses in select zoning districts in West Soma. The legislation before you exempts any change of use from PDR, arts activities, institutional community uses to one of those uses and all institutional uses from the conditional use and replacement requirements. Current 202.8 language does not allow for any flexibility between these uses, which adds constraints for uses that are already widely agreed to be necessary and desirable. Even a change of use from PDR to an arts activity is currently subject to the conditional use and replacement requirement. Unfortunately, Prop X has put SOMA at a disadvantage for attracting new PDRs, PDR arts and institutional tenants. It's even a barrier for ke keeping SOMA organizations in SOMA. I would also like to clarify that this legislation does not propose any changes that would make it easier for office or market rate housing to displace these protected uses, which was the main intention of the 2016 legislation. Rather, this legislation will open up sites for these protected and very necessary uses and provide additional flexibility. Swords to Plowshares, a nonprofit organization serving veterans in West Soma, is an immediate beneficiary of this legislation and was a driving factor in the District 6 decision to pursue this. Supervisor Dorsey applauds the original author and advocates for this well-intentioned legislation that met the moment of 2016, but in 2023, our city faces and our district faces very different challenges. The Dif District 6 office has been in collaboration with many community partners on this legislation. You should have received letters of support from the Soma West Community Benefit District and Swords to Plowshares. We've also had incredibly positive conversations with Soma Arts, United Playas, and West Bay. We've also had productive conversations with Todd Coe, who submitted a letter to the Planning Commission expressing concern. In response to their concern and with their collaboration, Supervisor Dorsey has requested an additional amendment that has been circulated today. This amendment would cap this new exception to buildings with a smaller than 25,000 square feet ground floor space. This amendment is non-substantive, so after hearing from planning staff on the commission recommendation, we ask that you amend the legislation and send it to the full board as a committee report. 
Okay, thank you, Ms. Tam. Um, okay, hello, Ms. Merloni. Thank you, Chair Melgar, Audrey Merloni, Planning Department staff. The Planning Commission heard this item on October 26th. They voted to approve what is essentially version two of the ordinance and is in front of you today. And as Ms. Tam already stated, they recommend that the board consider placing a ground floor square footage cap on proposed changes of use that would be exempt from replacement requirements. We'd like to thank Supervisor Dorsey for being supportive of that amendment. If you have any questions, I'm available. Thank you. Um, I do have a question uh, I don't, for Ms. Merloni. Loney, I think, um, and that is, as I remember, uh, under Prop X, um, a lot of these definitions apply to both SOMA and uh, the intermission. So uh, are the changes in the ordinance uh, affecting both uh, districts? These are going to be affecting certain zoning districts that also are part of Prop X, but one zoning district that's prevalent in the mission that will not be included in these changes is the, the urban mixed use or yes. UMU district. Yeah. So that district, which is prevalent in the mission, is not included in this ordinance. So everything there would remain the same. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Let's then take public comment on this item, Mr. Clerk. Thank you, Madam Chair. This will be the last time we take public comment today. This is on agenda item number nine related to these exceptions from limits on conversion of production, distribution, and repair items. If you have public comment, please come forward to the lectern and begin if you're ready. Good afternoon, Supervisors. I am Lamer Pamintuan and I work for Source Supply Shares. I'm here to speak in support of the item nine sponsored by Supervisor Dorsey. This proposed uh, amendment of the planning code we hope is one that the committee will unanimously approve and forward on the full board. This change, as outlined by Supervisor Dorsey, will allow Sword Supply Shares to operate our Veterans Community Center located in Soma without incurring costly fees. As nonprofit, these costs, in this case, cost was over $300,000, are prohibitive and come at expense of being responsive to the needs of my fellow veterans. This specifically impacts our ongoing efforts to continue operations of, of a new Veterans Community Center, which has allowed us to expand our hours of operations. We urge the committee to approve this proposed amendment so that nonprofits like Sword Supplies are not saddled with burdensome costs in order to provide wraparound care and services to those who are in need. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on agenda item number nine related to the conversion of PDR space? I, I don't know. I'm smiling. It's just because it's the last one. <laughs> uh, yes, I mean, do what you feel like doing as long as remember. I mean, please I say remember. It's not, uh, I mean, push responsibility on critical thinking so you know what you're doing. That's it. There is no choice, otherwise, whatever you are even, I mean, at least think, uh, yes, is there any conflict of interest, blah, blah, blah. Then we're good. Normally. Thank you for sharing your comments, Mr. Phil. Do we have any other comments? Madam Chair. Thank you. Public comment on this item is now closed. Um, so I'd like to make a motion that we adopt the amendments as proposed uh, by Supervisor Dorsey's office. On the motion to amend as offered by Chair Melgar, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes on the amendments. In, 
Thank you, Mr. Clerk. And I'd like to make another motion to send this out uh, as amended as with a positive recommendation as a committee report. On the motion to send the ordinance with positive recommendation as amended as a committee report, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes once again. Great. Thank you. That motion passes. Uh, Mr. Clerk, do we have any other business before us today? There is no further business. Okay. We're adjourned. Thank you.